This morning, it is such a great joy to have Ken and Susie back with us. Over the years that they were here, I believe in 88 to 93, they blessed us in many ways. Ken, with his preaching and with his teaching and his leadership, and and Susie with the personal ministry she was engaged in and as a teacher, we remember those days and thank God for them. For those of you who don't remember them, those of you who weren't here during those years, I, I want to give you a little bit of information, some background that might help you. Dr. Jones, since December of 2021, has and continues to uh, be the chancellor at Oklahoma Christian University. Ken's a native of Cordell, Oklahoma, and, and uh, it was there in Oklahoma that Dr. Jones received his undergraduate degree, his master's and doctorate degree at, in agricultural engineering from Oklahoma State University. He spent over four decades in Christian higher education and leadership training. He served Lubbock Christian University as president from 1993 to 2012 and stayed on as chancellor until 2017. Prior to his uh, work with the Christian University, Dr. Jones preached at, at Enid, Oklahoma, and, and of course here at Sunset. Then on retirement uh, from LCU, Dr. Jones Time has been filled with uh, numerous speaking engagements and leadership coaching sessions that he does around the nation. Ken and Susie currently live back there in Cordell, Oklahoma, where they enjoy spending time uh, farming with their son. I'm, I'm not sure enjoy is the right word. Enjoy with the son, farming, ranching, maybe some tough times there. Enjoy spending their time, obviously, with Mitch and his wife, Audrey, and their two sons, Cord and Cal. And when they're in our area, they get to see their daughter, Jenny Crockett, and husband, Kevin, and, and they enjoy spending time with them, but also their two granddaughters, Mackenzie and Kerrigan. Just about any Sunday, Ken can be found in a pulpit somewhere in local congregations preaching the word. We're thankful that you're here with us this morning, Ken. I'm going to invite you to come up and let me have a prayer with you. Remember that uh, there is a reception for Ken and Susie at 2 o'clock today. It's a come and go from 2 to 3. So please join us and, and give your word of appreciation to them when you come. Let's pray together. Father, what a glory it is. What a grace it is in our lives to be influenced and touched by people in their activities, in their word, in their encouragement. Father, I, on a personal level, I thank you for the time and, and energy that Ken has so freely poured into my life, encouraging me as a young student here in the preaching school, and then through years in ministry, being there to offer wise advice and give me encouragement. Father, that's been a blessing to me. I say that about me because I know he's done the same with so many others. 
whether it's through his preaching or his teaching or his care for local congregations and leadership in different places around the United States. He's been there and has been a good voice for Christ. I'm thankful for him and, and Susie who has been and served with him in every place he's gone and been not only just an encouragement to him, but a minister in her own right. So, Father, this morning my prayer for you is to open his heart, help him to speak as he needs to speak for us as your children this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I understand that I am the uh, third speaker, and I think I know the reason. It's out of respect to the elderly, and <laughs> that I am the oldest one of the three to appear before you. I want you to know that Susan and I are delighted to be here with you this morning. We wondered if we would uh, really know anyone. It's been so long. And yet we have already seen so many of you who brought back to our minds such wonderful memories. To see Josh up here leading singing, seems like only yesterday he was out singing on the campus of Lubbock Christian University everywhere. And so Josh, it's good to be with you. It has been a really, really long time since I have stood on this stage. In fact, I sometimes tell people it's been so long that I'm not even sure it really, really ever happened. But this morning, the first thing I saw was this podium or this pulpit, and I knew it happened because I know exactly when this was placed here. It was placed in the fall of 1988. What is that? 34 years ago? And, and, and maybe, a, maybe one or two in the audience would remember that prior to this, there was a, a podium that was, what was it, Gary, six feet wide? And... And I didn't like to stand behind the podium, so I'd make my way from one side to the others. And I think Lowell Johnson and some of the elders felt sorry for me. And they had this one built to kind of match the woodwork on, on the sides over here. So I, I guess it really did happen. I uh, talked to Monty. Monty and I talked a lot through the years. But Monty called back in spring and asked if I would speak. And he said, would you talk about purpose? He said, you spent a lot of time at sunset talking about purpose, mission, vision, and he's right. I, I did talk about who we are, why we exist, where we're going in this life, but even prior to arriving at sunset, I was talking even before about why we exist and who we are and where we're going. And then, yes, we did move over to those years at Lubbock Christian University, wonderful years, blessing years. But it seems like all the time I was there, I was talking about who we are and why we exist and, and where we're going. And about three years ago, Susan and I finally decided to move back to Oklahoma. And only by the providence of God, it could only be by the providence of God, we end up being deeply immersed into the workings of Oklahoma Christian University. And can you guess, would it surprise you if I said that I'm still talking about who we are, why we exist, and where we're going? And I know I'm talking to kingdom people. 
Jesus was born into our world, and he asked us to be born into his world, his kingdom. And I know I'm talking about people who have been immersed into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that you have a reason to exist. And you have a purpose, regardless of age, regardless of the color of hair, regardless of your standing in life. You have a purpose. You have a reason for your existence. And I am certain, absolutely certain, that I could talk on this subject every Sunday till this year ends and beyond. But I have only a little tiny bit of time. So I want to talk about a sliver of this thought that has been so meaningful and life-changing, literally life-changing for me over the last four years or so. And my hope is this morning that it could truly make a difference in your life and truly make you rethink who you are, why you exist, and where you're going. It would be easy for me to say that part of our reason for existence as kingdom people is to be the light of this world, to make a difference in this world, but I've often wondered how in the world would you do that, and so this morning I want to address that for just a bit in some unusual ways, and I've chosen one verse of scripture. If I can make this thing work properly, it should be there. One verse of scripture. It's tucked in to the closing comments as you're closing that wonderful, powerful book that Paul wrote called Romans. And he said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there are three words I want to call to your attention as we begin. Hope and joy and peace. And I know for a fact that everyone in this audience wants the possession of those three words in your life. Don't don't you want to live in hope right now? Don't you want to really believe that tomorrow is better than today and tomorrow is better than yesterday? That's hope. And don't you want to live with joy? And, and, and there are a lot of different, different definitions, but I'm just talking about being happy regardless of circumstances. And, and the peace it's talking about here is that, that peace that gives you freedom from worry and that freedom from anxiety. And, and I know, I, I know that no one does this 100% of the time. I know there are disappointments. And I know there are hardships. And I know there is grief. I know all that. But for the life of a kingdom person, someone who belongs to the King Jesus Christ, the characteristic that's predominant is that regardless of circumstances, we are that. We are hope, we are joy, and we are peace people. But I have really wondered how. How. 
And one of the things I've discovered is it's not by that. It's not by willpower. If it were by willpower, I would have had it all a long time ago. If it were by willpower. But I want you to tell you that willpower, while a wonderful quality, will only take you so far in this life and will never take you far enough. Everybody understand that? Willpower is really, really good. But it will only take you so far and it will never, ever take you far enough. For have we not read these verses? Be joyful always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I'm going to say it again. I want you to rejoice. How many times have I read it? And be anxious for nothing. But in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God will fill your hearts and your minds. And we read it, and we read it, and if it were by willpower, I would have it. But I didn't have it. I didn't have it. And so, about four years ago, I began to ask myself the question, why? It's not by willpower, and I'm supposed to have it. I'm supposed to be in Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to be a light of this world. I'm supposed to look differently from how this world looks. How do I get it? You know, I didn't even know that that verse existed. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. I didn't even know it was there. I, I don't mean to embarrass myself, but I, don't, I want you to just know I didn't know it was there. May you be filled with joy and be filled with hope by your trust in Him. It's all about trust. It's about learning how to trust. Now, as near as I can see, you don't look too convinced. But I'm telling you, it's about trust. And I have figured out that I spent years in this pulpit, and I didn't know how to trust. And I figured out, I've been going to church virtually all of my life, and I've heard people talk about faith, and I've heard people talk about trust, and I figured out no one ever taught me how to trust. In contrast to that, I had even missed this latter part of the old proverb we always talk about, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. That was me. That was me. I could lean on my own understanding. I, I thought I could solve the problems. And I was the one not being able to go to sleep at night. I was the one waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and my mind jumps back on the problem. I was the one hitting the dead ends and being so frustrated with life. Not by my own understanding, by learning to trust. Someone asked me a long time ago, what does it mean to be spiritual? It was a trap type question. They were trying to trap me. I didn't give a good answer. But now I think I have a better answer. Spiritual means connection. 
It means connection with the Father through the Son. Connection with the Spirit that lives inside of you. When you were baptized into Christ, you received the gift of the Spirit. It's connection. And I'm sad to say you can go to church for 20 years and you can go three times a week. And you may not have the connection. The connection is defined by that word trust. So in this moment of time, this so brief of a moment of time, I want to tell you how I think you get it. I want to tell you how I think it happens. This may surprise you. You have to choose to believe. Why in the world would I say that? You have to choose to believe. I don't know if Satan has ever been any stronger than he is right now in this world. Do you? I mean, he's using media. He's using entertainment. He's even using theologians to try to tell me that there is so much of this book that is not true. And so I'm talking to a young woman not too long ago, and the young woman, who's pretty close to me, said, well, I had a Bible class professor who said to me that the story of Jonah is not real. And I said, wow, I've heard that before. I've heard people say the story of Jonah is not real. It's an allegory or it's some illustration or whatever those words are. I said, but could I tell you, you have to choose to believe. And I said, which is harder? Which is harder for you to believe that a fish can swallow a person and that person can live inside the the belly of that fish for three days and, and survive? Or to believe that that God parted the waters of a, a sea and, and all of a sudden there's dry land and they stay parted so that several hundred thousand, if not more, make it through on dry land. Which story is harder to believe? And, and, and which is harder to believe? That sometime later when the Jordan River River was in flood stage, that God would instantaneously throw up an invisible dam and the waters would stack up in a great heap like a giant lake and the people would walk over Jordan on dry land? Which story fits the way a man thinks? Which story fits the way you think? Is it harder to believe the story of Jonah than it is that Jesus came into this world. He was born into our world. Don't miss my... He's born into our world by way of a woman who never knew a man. Quite a story to believe, isn't it? Is it harder to believe about Jonah than it is about this man named Jesus dying but was raised again? What fits... And maybe it's why God says in this book that the the wisdom of this world is but foolishness with God. We think we have the answers, my friend. You choose to believe.
And I'm telling you families, you got young children. I saw young children coming up here. They're going to go to school and people are going to tell them not to believe. And they're going to be with friends and they're going to tell them not to believe. You start telling them right now they have to choose to believe. And if you're teaching Bible classes and you're teaching Bible classes, especially to young children or even young people this age over here, you tell them you've got to choose to believe. I don't care what educators say. I don't care what anybody says. That's where it starts. But that's not trust. That's where it starts. And so I decided that for Ken, you have to make up your own mind, I had to develop in my life a habit of trust. What would I mean by that? What would I mean about a habit of trust? Well, maybe it's just age. I don't know. But I keep finding myself more and more running into things for which I have no answer. I keep finding myself coming head on into something and I cannot figure it out. I I don't know the words to say. I don't know the direction to take. And I'm finding, would it be possible, Ken, for you to at that very moment pause and say, Father, I don't know. I don't know what to do. But would you tell me what to do? Would you show me what to do? And if you don't act in this situation, I don't know what's going to happen. It's a continual, everyday process of figuring out how to develop a habit. So the first thing I do is turn to God. So I, I spent months, I spent months every Sunday morning talking about it, saying to a little group of people, could we learn to develop that habit of trust? Could we become a trust people? Because that thing of hope and joy and peace, that, that thing is only a serendipity. That's only a byproduct of trust. I can't get any other way. And so I went back to old stories like Daniel. I looked at Daniel when he was an old man. In that lion's den story, you remember that story? Everybody remember the story of lion's den? He's an old man. And may I tell you, as an old man, he's lived his life never getting what he wanted. He never got what he wanted. When he was a young man, he saw most likely his family killed. He saw his city destroyed. He was carried off as a slave, a servant. He was forced to learn a new language of the Babylonians. He was forced to learn their habits and their customs. And he'll spend the rest of his life in a foreign land, never getting to go home. He never got what he wanted. And can I tell you this morning, some of you are facing problems, big, big problems. I know, audience this size, it has to be. We're facing big, big problems. The good news is some of those problems come and go. 
some of those problems never go away. They never go away. They, they just never go away. My, jump, my mind jumps. My mind jumps to my own family. My mind jumps to my, my youngest brother and jumps to a situation he has in his family. And he looks at me so often and saying, this, says, this, this problem is never going to go away. But could you still live with hope and joy and peace in moments of that time? Can you do it by this thing of trust? And Daniel is this old man, and the, and the decree comes, do not pray, especially to the Hebrew God. He's been praying all his life. He goes up to that window that, if this doesn't touch your heart, maybe you're asleep. He goes up to the window that faces Jerusalem. It faces home, where he always wanted to be. And he begins to pray. I, we, don't, we don't know all that he said, probably. And maybe I'm wrong on this. I'm wrong on a lot of stuff. By the way, I should have started this morning apologizing to you. I should have apologized to you for all those lessons I gave for five years here. I did not know what I was doing. I would be embarrassed if I listened to them right now. Please do not listen to them. I think maybe he's saying something like this. God, you've been with me all this time. Is this the way it ends? I'm too old to fight lions. I couldn't fight hungry lions anyway if I was young and strong. And the only way out of this thing is you take care of it. Now, I've been there many times in the last bit of time. The only way out, my Father, is that you take care of it. The only way out is up to you. And he's put in the den of lions. And the story becomes so comical to me because at this moment, the lions are so hungry and they see fresh meat and their their mouths are locked down and you almost see the old man up leaning against the pit, the wall of that pit. And he looks up to the father with a smile and says, you did it again. A little earlier in that same book, he had three friends. They were, they were called to bow down and worship to some image of gold. And they said, no, I can't do it. They're hauled before this king Nebuchadnezzar that they had seen destroy their city. They had seen him kill their people. He says, boys, you're going to go into that fire. Now, friends, that doesn't sound like too good of a death to me. Hungry lions doesn't sound all that good. Pit of fire certainly doesn't sound that good. But I love the response to King Nebuchadnezzar. And I paraphrase a bit, but they said, We're, Oh, King. It's a submissive response. It is not a demanding response. Oh, King. We're not worried. We're not concerned. What? How? We're not, we're not so upset about this because our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, 
We're not going to bow down. And so I coined the phrase for myself. Not, not for you, but I coined it for myself. I will trust you anyway. I'll trust you anyway. I know time is short, but you go over to the New Testament. I love, love looking through the Gospels, especially preaching through the Gospels. Took me about 18 months to get through the book of Luke recently. But you look at the apostles, and it seems to me that one of the chief desires of Jesus is to build in their lives the quality of trust. But do you remember early on, they're in a boat, and Jesus is asleep, and, and, and suddenly, without warning, the storm comes, and the winds are blowing, and, and the waves are coming over, and they're, they're, they're so terrified, and they go and wake up Jesus and say, don't you care we're going to drown? And Jesus will get up in his calm spirit and say, my paraphrase, gentlemen, you don't have a wind problem. You don't have a water problem. And you don't have a drowning problem. You've got a trust problem. It'll be sometime later that thousands of people will show up and they'll, they'll want to listen to Jesus. Isn't that something? Thousands of people would show up to listen to Jesus when our attendance is falling away everywhere today and it's so much easier to listen to what Jesus put in print. And they listen to Jesus apparently for quite a while. And Jesus says to his same apostles, I think they're hungry. They've got to get back home. We've got to give them something to eat. And the apostles go right back to it. They, 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 they lean on their own understanding. Did you, everybody catch that? They lean on their own understanding, and they say, we can't. It's too far. We don't have the money. We don't know where we'd find that kind of food anyway. And Jesus says, gentlemen, you don't have a location problem, you don't have a money problem, and you don't have a food problem. You've got a trust problem. You've got a trust problem. But I've got hope this morning in that story because these, these apostles will make their, all the, their way all the way till Jesus will say, I'm departing, I, I, I'm leaving, and they'll fall apart again. And Jesus will say, it's going to be okay. I'm going to send you a comforter. I'm going to send you a spirit. I'm going to send you someone. This is, this is what really gets me. Better than I. Better than I. And after a while, they march out into this world they march out into this world by the power of the Spirit of God that is in them. And they will take such abuse and they will face circumstances that are seemingly unbearable, to, at least to me. And they will hold and they will hold and they will put their trust over and over and over again in the Father. And so I want you to know it's how kingdom people predominantly live. I don't do this well all the time. If I stood up here and told you you've got to be happy all the time, 
And you've got to be hopeful all the time. And you've got to be peaceful all the time. I would be such, I'd be such a mistake. I, there's times you can't, I, I, times things just fall in on you. They just fall in on you. But even when they fall in on you, once you get your breath, once you get your footing back, you come back and say, our God is alive, and my Jesus died for me. And I, I decided because I believed in him, and I put my confidence in him, that I would spend my life changing my life. That's repentance, by the way. If you thought that repentance was a one-time act, you missed it. I am still repenting every day. I'm still finding changes that need to be made. But it's my commitment because I believe. I chose to believe. And I will tell you, I, I got baptized. And that seems strange to me too. After all that, to, to go down in the water and come up as a new creature, it says, I did that because I chose to believe that I would be a new person with my sins washed away and that God's Spirit would live inside of me and I could be a kingdom person for the rest of my life. I chose to believe it. And I've been trying to acquire this habit of trust. So that in these years that God gives to remain, Maybe I could live by hope more than I have in the past. And maybe I could live with joy more than I did in the past. And maybe I could be free more from worry and anxiety than I did in the past. And my friends, that's who we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be kingdom people in every sense of the word. And so it's changing my life as I wrestle through it. I'm not there yet. I wish it would change yours. I invite you to really, seriously, seriously consider living with all your heart toward Jesus Christ. With all your heart. There's more I could say. The story's jumping in my mind at this very moment, but I know I don't want to abuse your time. So consider the request as we stand and sing.